Chapter 1. That day arrived like every other day in my life. I came into it ill-informed and unprepared. There had been exaggerated news reports over the past few weeks about the upcoming flu season's annual pandemic. The whiners on the Talking Head channels were making noise about racial cleansing that had spread out of Somalia and into Kenya, Ethiopia, and Sudan. There was widespread civil disorder in China. The military was cracking down hard. Soldiers were marching. Tanks were rolling. Reporters were being arrested, and Internet communication had been disconnected, to whatever degree that can be done. There was rioting in some Mediterranean cities, and the Mideast had oscillated into a more violent phase of its perpetual cycle. The world was falling apart, in all the usual ways. So I'd shrugged it off and spent my Saturday watching preseason football with my buddies. I got a little too drunk, slept a little too late, and on that Sunday morning, my head hurt a little too much. It didn't help that I was going to see my mom and Dan for a needling, nagging, degrading lunch that would end with my asking for a $500 loan to cover rent again, and I'd get another long speech about doing something with my life, showing a little enthusiasm or developing some kind of work ethic. How else could that morning have started other than with a few shots from a now-empty tequila bottle on my kitchen counter? And perhaps I should have not just noticed, but really paid attention to the weirdness in the streets and the drive over. But when one gets up in the morning and explicitly decides to paint oneself into oblivion behind a screen of booze, dark sunglasses, and heavy metal music, an unconcerned world just slides past beyond an apathetic fog. Which is the whole point. All of that worked just as planned until I walked into Mom's house and slipped in some blood on the floor in the foyer. I was dumbstruck at the scene in the living room, some semi-mutilated guy sitting deathly still in a chair by the fireplace, my mother on the living room floor in a pool of blood, and Dan on his knees with his back to me, hunched over her with busy elbows and noisy hands. Time ticked languidly past. Unsavory images bombarded my optic nerve, only to be rejected by my unreceptive brain. Unencumbered by the state of horrified surprise that afflicted me, Dan stood up and looked at me with his thin gray comb-over dangling in front of his pale round face. His blood-smeared lips smacked, his crazy dark eyes fixated on me. I yanked my phone from my pocket and threatened, Dan, I'm going to call the police! As if I wasn't going to do that anyway. He came at me, clearly not afraid of the police. My feet somehow found traction on the slippery floor and I bounded into the kitchen. Dan gave chase with his big blue-collar hands grasping at my shirt tail. With surprising speed, he caught me near the dishwasher. A big ape hand squeezed into my arm and spun me around. The other reached for my throat with toothy jaws following close behind. I tried to protect myself by throwing up my left arm. I reached over and pulled a large carving knife from the block on the counter, and I stabbed Dan, tentatively at first, but as his teeth tore my skin, I stabbed again and again with increasingly brutal enthusiasm. When it was over, I sat on the floor with my back to a cabinet door in a large, copper-smelling puddle of Dan's blood, with his sweaty body pinned across my legs. He was dead. I was fixated on the horrid bite wound on my left forearm. For a long time I watched, hypnotized, as the blood oozed and dripped. Sometimes a half-bottle of breakfast tequila just isn't enough to deal with the day's reality. I dropped the knife and proceeded to roll the flabby corpse under the tile. I walked through the mess in the kitchen and found my cell phone on the floor in the foyer. Thankfully, it hadn't broken in the scuffle. I dialed 911. Busy. Shit. I tried again. Busy. You've got to be kidding me. I walked out the front door and onto the wide porch. The upper-middle-class cracker neighborhood ignored me, focused instead on its own pockets of human chaos. Four houses down across the street, some sort of scuffle had spilled out of the front door, and people were struggling on the lawn. A car raced up the street at a very unsafe speed. Some residents loitered aimlessly. 
I dialed 911 again. Still busy. What the hell? I went back into the house, closing and locking the front door behind me. Things weren't making sense. I went into the living room and looked down at my mother's torn body and shook my head. It was surreal. I guess some people in that situation would have crumbled. Some would have cried. But I'd emotionally disconnected from life a long time ago. For that, I had to thank the skeletal bitch on the floor, with her greedy rodent soul and her short-tempered ape-mate in the kitchen. If anything, her death was a belated answer to old prayers, with a bit of an unexpected mess. I thought about an inheritance and an end to my financial troubles. I thought about the infection from Dan's stale breath and yellow teeth beginning to fester under my skin. I thought about the eventual scar and the great barroom story it would make. Pain today, pussy tomorrow. Half a smile bent my lips.